This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Warning signs are flashing red. Bond markets are projecting a 98% chance of default on Greece's debt. Stock prices for French banks, heavily invested in that debt, have plunged 10% in recent days. Has the European debt crisis hit the breaking point, with Greece and perhaps others soon to exit the Eurozone? Or will officials once more cobble together new agreements that keep Greece in the club and prevent a huge contagion effect likely to cripple an already slowing global economy? Wharton Finance professors Franklin Allen and Bulent Gultikin offer their insight. We're meeting today with Wharton Finance professors Franklin Allen and Bulent Gultikin to discuss the deteriorating debt situation in Europe. Thank you both for joining us today at Knowledge at Wharton. Happy to have you. Bond markets are pricing in a 98% chance of default by Greece on its debt. It looks more and more as if some kind of a debt default by Greece is imminent. Uh, And two recent events seem to have pushed things to the brink, uh, though they were already heading there, perhaps. First, and maybe most important, the German Constitutional Court ruled out, or seems to have ruled out, the possibility of Germany being involved in issuing euro bonds over, say, the medium and long term, although they allowed for some uh, short-term financings to continue. Uh, And and, um, second, Jürgen Stark, the Central Bank board member, who opposed European government bond buying to help bail out members in trouble, resigned late last week, leaving no German member on the board. Uh, And this seemed to be an act of protest against the ECB uh, bond buying of trouble debt that's been been going on. So this this is taken as a sign, I believe, that Germany cannot be expected to continue much longer with the extend and pretend that's been going on with Greek debt. So I'd like to ask each of you... uh, Is this, are we, are we very close to the brink here? Is, is default uh, imminent and unavoidable, first of all? Uh, Professor Allen, if you would start. So I think it is imminent. The, the Greek prime minister said that it certainly wouldn't happen, which is usually a signal that it's just about to happen. So I think we are getting closer to it. I don't think it's inevitable. If the Germans and the French decided that they were willing to transfer large sums to Greece, I think it wouldn't happen. I think there are probably a lot of negotiations going on behind the scenes as to exactly what forms it could take and what transfers might be given to them to prevent various different forms. So essentially, there are two ways it could happen. It can happen in a controlled way, in the sense that they stay within the Eurozone and it's sanctioned by the ECB and the EFSF. And so it's done with the banks being supported either directly or indirectly by the EFSF. It depends when exactly it happens. They may want to wait until the parliaments have passed the the extended powers, so then it would still be two or three weeks away or maybe more. Otherwise, it's going to have to be bilateral help, or the ECB is going to have to do it, but that's going to be more more difficult, I think. But then the second option, which I think would be better for Greece 
in the sense that they would grow faster and they would have more control over their destiny, assuming there are no transfers forthcoming, is that they simply leave the Eurozone very quickly. They pass a law that all domestic debt, which as I understand is most of the sovereign debt and a lot of the corporate debt and so on, is under Greek law, so they can change one euro into one new drachma. If they do that, then the contagion effects on the rest of the eurozone are going to be significant. So I think the exchange rate at the beginning would probably go to two new drachma to one euro. And for people in countries like Italy and Spain, I think this is going to be a revelation to them that something like that could happen. And what that could potentially drive is a massive capital flight from southern Europe to northern Europe. And how they would deal with that would be extremely complicated. And it might lead to the Italy leaving and having a similar kind of experience. So there's a lot of things that could happen. It's very much up in the air, I would say. And quite the reactions of the Germans and the French. And the French are now in trouble too. We saw yesterday French banks drop in share price 10%. Their stock market is now at the level it was at the worst time in the crisis. So France is beginning to be dragged back too. So this is a very complicated and difficult situation with many possible outcomes, I would say. Professor Goltzkin, um, do you think that the, they are also, do you agree that they're on the brink of default? And what, what do you think is most likely to happen? I guess when you say at the brink of default, it's, that's what I would somewhat disagree with, frankly, in the following. So I think mathematically, it's very difficult for Greece to get out of that situation. So in that sense, whether it's now or later, if, if it is left alone, the mathematics or the sort of the budget arithmetic shows that Greece just cannot uh, basically service its debt. Now, the imminency comes sort of based upon the scenarios Franklin was saying, that is, would they allow? So that's why I say it may not be imminent. We can, we can postpone the things. Like in May two, uh, 2010, if they allowed Greece default, things would have been somewhat easier, but yet, on the other hand, people worried about that it might have this contagion effect, and that's why they thought, let's bail out Greece. And we gained some time, but within this time period, nothing has been done. So that's the problem. As a result, Greece's situation is not resolved. So we have a situation, if they don't do anything, yes, it's imminent. <laughs> on the other hand, if they uh, try to bail out again one way or the other, then we are really postponing the situation into a future. And would Europe come up with another sort of structure to deal with that? It remains to be seen, given the complications Franklin actually described that. I think it is a very, very, I mean, so many thing permutations are possible. And one difficulty that I see, for example, is about... Greece leaving Euro, and whether that's the best option, because there are several options. That's, that certainly works better for Greece if there was no other side effects of that, because, I mean, that's their problem, because there's a the problem of... Greece has two problems in terms of... One is a uh, budget deficit problem and solvency problem. 
So, and the productivity problem. So they cannot deal with the productivity problem because they had to deal with devaluation, having their own currency, or somehow if they have a lower, uh, lowering the wages. But if European Central Bank decides or wants to have this 2% uh, inflation, and some estimates would suggest that Greece needs sort of the productivity is about 20%, uh, or at least there should be a 20% devaluation to be productive with the countries Greece is competing. And that requires 10 years for them to reach, say, competitive level with the sort of countries that need to compete. And no society can deal with that. So that is the dilemma. On the other hand, probably Greece would be better off if they default in this, under these conditions. And, but that doesn't solve their productivity problem. They have to address it differently. So at least this way, basically, <laughs> this is a very tough choice, whether you want to get out of def- uh, euro, which is going to cause all sorts of other complications. And this contagion, in fact, Franklin very carefully and I think eloquently described. And yet at the same time, if you default, what's going to happen? So the choices are not really all that attractive. This idea of an orderly versus a disorderly default is interesting. Uh, German Chancellor uh, Angela Merkel says that under no conditions will she allow Greece to have an uncontrolled insolvency. And, and um, But the question is, is she able to control that, particularly given that the German public is pretty emphatic about not wanting to send good money after bad in, in, in the case of Greece in particular, but perhaps other countries also in the South. So I think she's optimistic about her ability to control it. She certainly could if she was right, willing to write a big enough check for them. And I think that's the negotiation that they're engaged in. And this is a public standoff that if the Germans and the French are willing to transfer large amounts in one way or another, and probably it's got to be outside the ECB. I think the ECB has probably done as much as they can in terms of lending to Greek banks at low interest rates, buying sovereign debt, all of those things are probably at at their limit. It would now require some kind of transfer directly and not uh, not a bailout of the form of we're going to lend you more money, but they're going to have to start writing off debt or make it clear that this debt doesn't have to be paid off. That's another way of trying to hide the fact that it, it's, it's, it's really a transfer. And so a restructuring that is, in effect, a, a default that's controlled. <laughs> well, you know, one of the things they can do is the EFSF and subsequently the ESM can buy buy up all their debt and effectively hold it for 50 years and charge a very low interest rate, which is not at all meaningful relative to the market rate. So if they charge them the 1.5% current policy rate and kept rolling it over and made it clear that they wouldn't, you know, behind the scenes that they wouldn't have to pay it back, then that would be a way of of doing it. But they're going to have to do something like that or just a direct grant to stop Greece jumping out. As Bolent explained, I think they're better off, but everybody else is much worse off from that. So they have they have a gun which they can hold to the head of, of the Germans and the French. 
Is that is that enough of a firewall, though? In other words, if if they were able to accomplish that, which seems like a tall order, but let's say that were doable, is that is that enough of a firewall, or does that start to lead to contagion? People start to worry about Portugal's debt and Spain's no, no, this debt. this is the problem. It's it's <clears throat> catastrophic for the rest of the eurozone. Right. So so for them, it's it's very bad. But for Greece, I think they would probably become much more compa- it Wouldn't solve their long term productivity problem. Bulent's exactly right about that. But at the moment, you know, they're shrinking at last quarter. They shrunk at seven percent at an annual rate. Their estimate for this year is minus 5.3%. They're just shrinking away at the moment, so they're in a terrible situation. It goes to the point you were making, how long can a society continue to do that? It is true. I mean, what happens with this sort of uh, policy-induced sort of deficits are even worse because they cannot grow, and that's just going to create the problem. And I just want to add one thing, what Franklin said about Merkel's position. This is for the first time she mentioned this orderly uh, default. It's interesting because I have a feeling that I think what happens if Greece defaulted in May, I think it would have been a shock. And now it's so much anticipated. And the question is how you can basically prepare public and the markets for that. I mean, essentially, if you look at uh, Spain and, uh, or Italy, well, they all have different problems. So as a result, if there is time and if they can be addressed in a way without really scaring the markets, because the difficulty is anything that would trigger a massive run on these governments. I mean, let alone banks. We're not talking about running on banks nowadays with this uh, sort of markets being so nervous. That is going to have this catastrophic effect. But it would likely quickly spread to the banks, wouldn't it, if it started with the It's the same way. I mean, because what happens if if it's run on the banks and then run under, they're going to run under government bonds. Therefore, that's basically, it's it's a very unusual, uh, I don't want to say interesting, but very unusual case that all of a sudden, in the past, we have these sovereign debt problems or defaults are individual or if it may be region, but this is a whole eurozone that's just, it's going to affect countries that are not really in any difficulty. So looking at uh, Spain, they're, uh, they've been doing well in a way. So uh, they may be basically, if they don't have to pay all for all the sins of the, say, banking system, they may pull out. Italy, on the other hand, they have a fiscal problems, but it can be fixed by being a little sort of less corruption and c- collecting better tax mechanisms. So it's not a solvency problem. So in that sense, the question is, can you uh, calm down markets so that while you fix Greek problem or Greece problem and then uh, make sure that others don't just flare up? And I think that is going to take an incredible skill. And that's the tough part because in Europe, really, uh, there is in Germany and France, they also have some... uh, and the leadership, there hasn't been a uh, sort of strong leadership to pull everything together. And I just want to throw one more thing again. The fact that U.S. is in a sort of disarray is another problem. Because in the past, when you have a problem in international markets, under the leadership credibility of some country institution, things get back to a normal. And right now, that, I think, adds another uncertainty. And sometimes things or should not be a, a problem on the normal condition becomes very, very serious problems. 
let me just follow up on, on on what you were saying because I think one of the big issues which came out and you brought up in your introductory remarks was that there is a huge tension now between the French and the Germans, particularly at the ECB. So it seems as though Jürgen Stark specifically wanted to resign while Trichet was still in power. And the fact that Trichet apparently lost his temper with a German journalist on the meeting on Thursday who was asking about the ECB's success... I think this indicates that there's just a tremendous tension between the people in the ECB, and I think that's growing wider, and this is a big part of the problem now. Um, also, um, the the Eurozone hasn't been able to grow itself out of the problem because growth has been very slow. would have been better for them without a sort of world financial fiasco, which I know helped create the problems, but uh, it's been very tough. And so uh, on the one hand, people say this is, um, this could get, this could turn into creating a, a double dip recession if this thing spins out of the control. But the other side is also that Europe may be heading into a double dip. They may be on the brink of a double dip right now, which could, which could exasperate the problems that already exist and, and help this thing or not help it to to fly apart more so than it would. Um, how do you reconcile what's happening with the regional economy um, with these problems? Is it likely to be exasperating it? And, and maybe a, a related question is, has some of the austerity that's been imposed as a solution, is, is that now be the, the timing or even whether or not it's the right policy, uh, is, is that now going to hurt efforts to try and resolve uh, the problem of the debt repayments that aren't going to be made. So I think slow growth is becoming a global problem. So China has these very low PMI survey numbers. The uh, government's been tightening uh, quite considerably to bring down the inflation rate. So there's considerable evidence of slowdown there. And I think to the extent the Eurozone had growth, particularly in Germany, it was driven to a large extent by this growth in China and the other emerging economies. And the fact that Germany had such slow growth last quarter is an indication that, that the Eurozone is in problem, has a problem with growth. Of course, in the US, we also have a problem with growth. And this is all feeds back, as Bulent was saying. It's got a you know the easiest way to get out of debt problems is grow and the fact that these countries even the healthy what we think of as the relatively healthy ones aren't growing is a big problem and going back to Italy Italy has grown very very little over the last decade the fact that the rest of Europe is slowing down it suggests it may well go into recession and this is going to be a very difficult problem for it I mean there is sort of a secular trend in Europe. I don't think Europe is going to grow like East Asia or what they used to because of the demographic structure So and technology transfer and diffusion in East Asia certainly created this displacement of uh, lots of work elsewhere. And I think this uh, this is this secular trend was going on. So there's one part of it. So we should not expect these countries sort of jump back like emerging markets after a crisis. 
But there is one problem I think you mentioned, and also Franklin lived with, uh, which is very serious. That is, the times of this, this type of crisis, you need to have very stimulative sort of policies. The reason for that, I think, the, the cost of these crises are really pretty high. And unfortunately, it happened in the States at the wrong time, or at least, unfortunately, that's always the way the, with these crises. It happened always the wrong time. So the political leadership is such that, you, on one hand, fiscal policy or stimulus wasn't enough, and it was the Fed who was able to literally pull. And it turned out to be it wasn't sufficient. The same thing is happening in Europe, in a way. On one hand, markets or bond markets in particular demand that there should be an austerity, but at the same time, you need to be more expansionist. And the, cent- the European Central Bank, by their uh, sort of uh, degree, is sort of constrained to have QE, I mean, quantitative ease. So that's what they should have done. But it's not in their mandate, in a way, or at least they're adamantly against that. So you have that constraint on one hand, and... The uncertainty, on the other hand, if all happens again, this this sort of, I just don't even want to think about it, but I mean, the second recession could be Mm -hmm. even a whole lot worse. Uh, Just to put a couple numbers on it, yesterday, uh, the OECD said that its leading indicator of economic activity, and this covers now 34 countries, um, of the world's largest economies, fell for the fourth straight month. So... Again, it's a sign that it is a worldwide global slowdown. This is a- and emerging markets also slowing down too. I mean, Brazil, Turkey, countries that have sort of had the bounce back, and I think because what happened, their export markets, Europe and East Asia. Therefore, once there's a contraction, so it's affecting everywhere now. And you mentioned like. China, and I think India also are concerned with inflation, causing a certain amount of pulling back, and and so. Um, so everyone's doing that at the same time. So this is this is not this is not a good time for Europe to be having these problems in particular. Um, so th- do you see a feedback mechanism being set up here? Where oh, definitely yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, these austerity packages will shrink the economies. I think the the models that that they tend to use to to project are, are proving to be too optimistic because they're assuming that uh, people get back to work much more quickly than is in fact happening. And so uh, it, it's not good at all, I would say. What's, what's your, so um, I take it from your comments that you think austerity was not the right medicine in Europe at this time. Is, is, is that correct? I mean, not in hindsight, but when, you, when you're shrinking, certainly. I mean, the diff- this is a difficulty with crises, especially after bubbles. On one hand, you need to deliver. But delivering means you're basically contracting the economy. So how can you do that without sort of causing that issue? I don't think we found any sensible way. The only way to avoid it, not to get in that situation. But it doesn't say... Much once but if you happens. have households delevering and governments delevering at the same time, then um, is, is is the result not predictable? <laughs> well, that seems to be what's happening. <laughs> I mean, it happened sort of differently because when I was delivering, I sort of had friends and Spain in my mind. It was the sort of the because it was an after a bubble. Germany didn't have a bubble. France didn't have one. Italy didn't have one. So U.S., we had that situation, but sort of what happened, these countries needed 
to be dealt in a differently, but in the crisis environment, sort of everything looks alike. So that's the problem that people are not able to deal with these issues. And I think Franklin was um, explaining very well the difference between North and South. And that creates tremendous pressure. I was, for a reason, in Scandinavian countries and talking to politicians and about sort of, boy, they were angry. I mean, it's amazing that uh, it's almost like they would prefer, this is, this, they're so mad about Southern Europe, Italy, and particularly Greece. And, but the, on, the, on the other hand, what they want is cutting your nose despite your face. That's the problem, unfortunately. Once you get in that situation, even though you hate it, the alternative is a whole lot costlier. So. It's interesting, this split between the North and the South in Europe. Um, um, you talked about, uh, Professor Allen, you talked about uh, if Greece drops out, then, then it's not unthinkable that others might too. There's also been talk of um, almost the opposite possibility, which is that some of the northern countries, Germany, Netherlands, for, for example, would, would choose to leave and form some sort of northern regional group. Um, is that, I mean, how likely are, are, are those kinds of scenarios or how unlikely? So I think a northern European area consisting of Germany, the Netherlands, Finland, Austria, Luxembourg, would make a lot of sense. These countries view the world in very similar ways. They're all fiscally responsible. They would have a good chance of making it as a currency area. The South also <laughs> has a lot of convergence. Uh, you know, Spain, Italy, Greece, uh, France is an interesting which way they would go. They could go either way. But but those two groups view the world very similarly within the group, and that it's the real tension between the two groups that's causing the problems. And it, it might well have been better if they'd started with these two separate groups, and in the long run, in the next 20 to 40 years, one could see that that would make a lot more sense than what we've currently got, because... I don't, my own view is that eurobonds aren't a solution because there aren't the political control mechanisms that you need to have that degree of fiscal union. And these countries are just too different. As Belen was saying, they just view the world radically differently. And it's too soon. We need another 20 to 40 years, in my view, before we can have this very ambitious common eurozone. But there's no need that the EU should shouldn't go forward, you know, in, with different currencies. Maybe not as many as we had. You know, there are huge gains to be had from from these currency unions, but it's just not working at the moment, and it it's causing problems. So I think it's not very likely at the moment. But as we go further and further into this, these kinds of solutions become more and more attractive relative to these alternatives of chaotic splitting apart and so forth. I want to sort of add one thing to what Franklin said. What might happen, as he was describing earlier, that uh, in the event of some, some difficulties, there will be massive capital flow from south to north. I mean, if it, if these northern countries have another union and separate, that would exactly happen. 
and I mean, their currency appreciation rapidly, they're just going to put them in a very difficult position. So uh, that's in the, in the short run. And I think uh, the difficulty with Euro or Eurozone, that they were not able to, they did not set the fiscal requirements of a currency union um, because these countries, as Franklin described, are not really optimal currency zones. North might be because they all look alike, productivity and all that. South is a different way. And on the other hand, um, getting out at this point, very difficult. So it would cause more problems, really. So the, I think if Europe may have to do is to create the structures to satisfy the requirement of a currency union, that is to have more, maybe this would get or, or end up with a closer European Union, both on the monetary side and the fiscal side. So that might be the solution in the long run. That would certainly um, uh, sort of have there more requirements, especially so far. Uh, we thought that the single currency would provide discipline, but on the contrary, it proved the other way around because it allowed people to postpone their problems by borrowing at a much cheaper rate. So we are now with a bigger problem. So the fiscal union in a non-federative structure is trickier, but this might be the road that they may have to choose. Otherwise, it's very difficult to politically, I think, give up Euro right now. But one last question for each of you. Where do you, where do you think all this will, will settle in Europe, let's say, six years, oh, sorry, six months to a year from now? Not that it will be totally settled, but where do you think we will be six months to a year from now, most likely? I, I think it won't be that much different than now unless it's burst. And it may, it may well burst. You might be right that it's imminent and it could happen this week. But it could easily go on another six months or a year. And this back and forth with temporary solutions and so on. My own view is that, you know, Belen described one, one way out. Another way out is what I think... I think they should have done last May, which is allow default. It wouldn't it wouldn't have been pleasant, but it wouldn't have been catastrophic. They could have bailed out the French and the German banks, and it, it would have been fine. You know, another solution is to move towards a system where default is allowed, and I think for Ireland and Portugal, this would be a helpful thing. Uh, I think we also need a mechanism for countries to leave. So when we had the gold standard, which lasted for many, many years, it was essentially a form of monetary union. But if countries got into trouble, they left, fixed their problems, and then came back in. And I think what we need is a eurozone which has both those mechanisms in it. I don't think that's going to happen in six months to a year. But I think it's a more viable solution than a fiscal union because the countries just are not ready for that. The Greeks don't want the Germans telling them what to do and so forth. And the, the, the good thing about having these mechanisms is you don't need that. It's just you can control your own destiny, which many countries in Europe still want to do, including, as we said, with the constitutional court, particularly the Germans. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And... Where do you think we'll be in six months to a year? I think Europe has a very good history of muddling through. I mean, they postpone, and the, the decision-making process is such that they're going to push to us uh, bureaucrats in Brussels. It's going to come back, and I think I would imagine that... A little more unless, extend and pretend? 
unless, I mean, they, what might happen if markets become totally sort of difficult and uh, people realize. And I think they, they, there is some, uh, aw- quite a bit of awareness among the political class right now that they really don't have the same amount of time they had last May. So I think there might be very serious discussions going on right now, even though everyone has a very sort of pleasant public face. And so therefore, I wouldn't be too surprised, on the other hand, they would come up with some solutions, whether it's solve the problem or not, because they just realize they don't have much time. And once you have this latent possibility of, of a crisis, so it could happen anytime. And, and I suppose there's always the possibility that outside events, meaning a recession or, or you know, just slowing economies, could could end up being a deciding factor. You know, there's a what, what muddling through suggests as a, some kind of a sense of control, which is maybe what Merkel's referring to. But yet, that control could be taken away from them, couldn't it, by outside forces or exogenous forces, as they say in economics. Yeah, that could happen. I think there's also a significant chance of some kind of unpredictable accident. For example, the EFSF has to go through 17 parliaments. It may well be that one or more of them fails to pass it. So the true Finns may persuade some of the other people to vote against it. And once that happens, then we can trigger these runs and all these problems fairly easily. And and once it starts, there's... there's Then it's too late, yeah. They don't... The political... Moves just take too much time in Europe to deal with these overnight kinds of crises. And then it becomes like a nuclear chain reaction. There's just no stopping. Yeah, I mean, even we had difficulty in the States. We had difficulty in the States because of Congress and Senate and the executive. So when you have division of powers, so if you don't have sort of immediate reaction to that, sometimes you have not months, you have not weeks, even days to respond. So that's the problem under the crisis. So as a result, we hope that it doesn't happen because um, the scenarios we've discussed are not very appealing at all. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.